Welcome to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org. So I'm here with Claire Dubois, who's the founder of Tree Sisters. And every now and again, a campaign comes along, which really captures people's hearts. For me, Tree Sisters is one of those campaigns that everyone I speak to who's involved in Tree Sisters, they're so passionate about the campaign. And I feel that it seems that the reason for that is not just that it's very powerful messaging and a really powerful mission to plant a billion trees a year, but there's this dual aspect of the campaign, both the, the outer work of action and the inner work. And people are invited to take part in tutorials and learnings that really builds this sense of togetherness and inner strength, inner, inner resilience, connected to nature and it seems to me that the people who have done that have so much passion and strength that they then bring in to their activism um, that it just seems like such a powerful combination so um, thank you so much Claire for taking time for this interview thank you for understanding what we do (laughs) it's really novel and I really appreciate it it's a very unusual combination and it's a difficult one to explain to a lot of people the, the purpose of it, why it works, and um, why it's relevant for all of us. But I'll just share a little bit about why that is to me. Um, primarily because our culture has encultured us, there's a new word for you, away from who and what we really are. It's, uh, it's taught us to become what I would call a dominant dictator species over nature, um, which has, I think, inadvertently and deeply, tragically separated us from our mother. And I don't mean mother in a woo-woo sense, I mean a mother literally in the sense of she gives us everything, she provides everything, you know, we just think, oh, you know, well, what about food? Well, actually, what about our clothes? What about our homes? What about our bodies? You know, our bodies are made of her. Everybody that we love is made of her. Everything that we need, we use, we have, every single thing is made of her. And we expect to simply be able to continue dominating her and continue consuming her and continue stripping away the vital ecosystems that she requires in order to maintain herself, to cool herself, and to provide for all of nature. And um, so that pattern of behavior is an expression of our consciousness. Our choices arise out of our consciousness. Our behaviors arrive out of our consciousness. Everything we do arrives out of the way that we perceive and we experience. So if how we've been taught to perceive and experience is what I would call a severed state, then we can trash and not feel the consequences. Then we can trash and not even understand that we're trashing because trashing has been normalized. And actually, to me, it's a form of normalized insanity. So um, we're living in a state of normalized insanity, 
which is extremely painful that we don't know how to handle because we've been shamed away from the appropriate response to that. Um, so emotionally we're kind of held back and spiritually we're held back and mentally we're deeply confused and physically we're, uh, we're in deep trouble. So the combination of all of those things says, well, um, the deepest change has to happen at the level of our consciousness or we're simply going to fall off a cliff. Well, we're, we're practically falling off the cliff as we speak, um, which in and of itself potentially provides sufficient, uh, what's the right word, um, contrast, shall we say, uh, sufficient unease, sufficient fear, sufficient personal threat that we might actually wake up and start to look at our choices, look at who we are, look at why we're doing what we're doing, um, maybe even reconsider what our definition of being a human being actually is, uh, and potentially be in sufficient a crisis that we have to open to realms beyond that that we consider conscious, because our conscious realm is a conditioned inherited state that is extremely limited, whereas the realms beyond our conscious state are completely unlimited and unconditioned especially the what you would call the consciousness of nature. So um, I spend a lot of my time deeply distressed about the state of the world because I don't see that there's any time to do the level of consciousness shift that we need to do. And then I have to remember that humanity uses less than 10% of our brains and we only know the us that we are in division from nature. We don't know the us that we can become in union with nature or should I say in conscious connection to our bigger selves. Um, and so my work essentially is a combination of the deeper work that helps us begin to open to the possibility of what we actually are, um, creating community inside of that, bringing us into our bodies so that our activity arises from a deeply connected place of humility and so our leadership can arise from a place of connected humility which we call feminine nature-based leadership because the feminine principle is the relational aspect the feminine principle is the intuitive sensing feeling aspect and it's that that's been severed so feminine nature is the nature of living systems is the nature of relationship is the nature of health and harmony um, and feminine nature-based leadership therefore would be the leadership that arises out of harmonious state of collaborative, integrative um, connection to all that is. So if that comes first, which is what Tresis is based in, it's based in the re-establishment re of the feminine principle so that the masculine, so that our activity makes sense in relationship to the feminine, if that comes first, then we can help sort of elicit a different quality of leadership and then see where it wants to go when it's in right relationship with life and, and our Outward measurable, you could say, is the tree planting. You know, we're planting over 2 million trees a year right now, which sounds great until you realize that we're destroying over 14 million a day. Um, and so it's a very virtuous circle whereby the inner uh, helps us find our relationship to self, other, and nature, and then the outer plugs us into direct relationship with self, other, and nature. At a, at a measurable level of impact, which is satisfying and 
is, is only one facet. You know, tree planting is one facet of a solution. It's a big solution. It's a necessary solution. And it's a good one because it's measurable. You can see it and it has a huge social impact. So um, the inner and the outer, that's why I think Teresa's is completely unique. And I think also why it touches a lot of people. Because they're not just giving to a charity, they're growing. And they're growing with the charity. Mm. And do you feel that one of the problems with leadership at the moment is that we're sometimes too quick to go into that outer state, we're maybe too quick to go into action, and that there's just not enough emphasis or time given uh, to doing the inner work first. Yes, and it's a really significant catch-22. Because, you know, the Kogi say we've got seven to nine years left. You know, there are indigenous communities all around the world saying we have um, a good chunk less than a decade before climate change is going to be so cataclysmic that we're in major, major difficulty. And so um, for a lot of people, the wake up is kind of like, oh, and I've got to do something and it's got to be huge and I've got to, you know, and, and, and it's like, it's, it's full steam ahead. And for me, um, tree scissors has been way slower than I could ever have. I would, I would have, I would have thought we'd have been at a million trees a month by now. I, and I really, really would have thought that. And it's, sometimes it's really hard not to go, you know, I can't have been doing it right and all the rest of it. Um, but I didn't take into consideration what I would call collective momentum of consciousness. And collective momentum of consciousness is the, is the momentum of our collective consciousness that has normalised taking without giving back, that has normalised um, this business of endlessly consuming without thought for consequence. And so when you're coming back saying, can we reverse that? Can we flip it from a unconscious consumer species to a conscious restorer species? You're, I'm asking this immense thing, which is a complete re redefinition of ourselves through a fundamental shift of consciousness where we belong to this world that we're consuming rather than it's here for us simply to consume. So now I'm kind of like, wow, of course it's taken this long because it's not just that, it's also women's fear of themselves, each other, their femininity, their power, men, you know. Um, and so I've, 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 personally I've taken on something that is just extremely difficult uh, because there's fear laced through all different aspects of it. But when you are actually, um, when that call arises in you, when something matters more than your fear and when you want to move into action, um, we have no manual for how to go about that. We have no manual for how to deal with the desire to just act in the way that our world has always taught us to act, which is at the expense of our body, at the expense of our energy, probably at the expense of our planet, even if we think we're going to try and save it. Um, because we're not taught how to deeply listen. We're not taught how to listen to the, to the nature of creation coming through our body, guiding us towards the creative components needed to bring our thing into being. And so, so many of us, myself included, get these bright ideas and storm off down the runway, not even realizing that we haven't formed our wings yet and try and take off and then find it incredibly difficult. Whereby, um, many of us fail before we've had a chance to really, you know, give it a go. And if that was our moment of believing in ourselves and we failed, then all could be lost, you know. 
So again, this is why I really try and teach. We have this beautiful map inside of Tree Sisters called the, we call it the blueprint of a restorer species. It's also called the map of five choices. And it is the shape of a human body. It's five uh, core qualities of a human being in an energetic flow that works to save us five element acupuncture. And it starts with reveal, embrace, and embody, which is the feminine principle. Then it goes to activate and shine, which is the masculine principle. And reveal is what it takes to suddenly go, oh, here's my great idea. You know, it's the allowing of revelation. It's the opening of our consciousness beyond our conditioning. It's letting life come in and show us. Next step is the open heart. Okay, I can't do this in isolation. I need, to, I need my community support. I need to belong. I need, I need that extra anchoring. Um, and when we move into that extra anchored place, there's a line inside which goes straight from embrace to activate, which is, now I feel supported, I'm just going to go for it. I call it the heart slide, because we sort of go, oh, you know, this triumphant feeling of togetherness. But what happens is we, we, we bypass embody. Embody is the third place, which then says, okay, I've got the concept, I'm building the community, now what's ready to happen? How do I feel my way into action that is appropriate through the physical? It's the one that we all miss out because we've been taught to override the physical. But the physical is the guidance system that is the planet and therefore is woven into the consciousness of life itself. Therefore, we'll be able to tell us, that person over there that you're thinking, like, go and do this now, or actually, when somebody asks you to do something, no, it doesn't feel right. The, the guidance system will say, this is how much energy you've got to put into this. This is where your limits are. You know, do this, don't do that. Actually, you're not ready yet. Okay, I'm not ready yet. Or we just shoot off down the heart slide into activate and we try and do our leadership, not in actual relationship to creation at all, just in relationship to our minds, which are in a disconnected state. So... Um, it was a very long-winded way of saying, um, my God, we need leadership, but we need leadership that comes from a balanced place, and that is a place that honors the feminine and the masculine. The feminine primarily, because uh, that is the relational component that will have what we do make sense in relationship to the restoration of relationship and our world, regeneration of, of um, our ecology, all of that. And leadership is embodied. And leadership that's embodied. And it, is it, do you have tools and techniques to help people? Because that's obviously, because yeah. we're so not used to being embodied and listening to intuitioning and connecting to the earth in our culture, what are the ways that you use to, to go through that? Well, we have this thing called the inner journey of awakening. I mean, actually, this is primarily at the moment, it's just for women, but there is a, there's a, there's a free resource on our website, which is for everybody. Everybody can use it. And... Um, it has Facebook Lives that help you understand the logic of this five-element acupuncture, which is fascinating because it really is an ancient system that that makes total sense. I mean, it's a logic that you just can't step out of. Out of. It helps us understand how we are the way we are, why we got to where we are, and how to get out of where we are. So it's kind of like it. It's a it's a relief. It's confronting, um, but it's the path home. 
that's available to everybody. The inner journey is a step-by-step, month-by-month exploration of these aspects of ourselves. So we start in January with Reveal, really spending a month looking at what it means to open to the mystery and to face truth as it is. February, we go into Embrace. All our issues with togetherness, opening our hearts, trusting our insecurities, how we belong if we don't belong. Embody how we live in our body, how we open to nature, how we listen, how we shut down, how we suppress, what's the light and the shadow. Activate. Are we prepared to follow the wisdom that comes through at the soul level, the heart level and the body level? Or are we just going to suppress it and make ourselves ill? You know. And once we've allowed ourselves to start acting according to the wisdom that is coming through us, it brings us into our shine, which means that our energy will start turning in such a way that we need to give our gifts. Like, we need to give our gifts as a species. We are brilliant. We are loving. We are creative. We are audacious. And we act like these apologetic little things that feel guilty if they have an idea that is, you know, above them somehow, rather than living in a culture that's being created to call forth our absolute brilliance and celebrate us every step of the way. It's kind of like, who are you to think you can do this? I mean, this is a deeply feminine problem, but I'm sure it happens for men as well. Or if a man tries something, you know you have to succeed. You know, fear of failure, fear of ridicule, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of blah, blah. Like, we've got more fears than we know what to do with. And shining is when the, the impulse of your life force is so great and, and is called forth in relationship to everything that's happening in this world that it's more painful to not shine. You know, it's more painful to sit on our gifts, to not bring uh, our creativity forward, to, to not bring our, to not have a go. It's like it becomes unbearable to not have a go. And so we say yes to our life force and that brings us into more revelation about who we are and how to love and how to feel and how to act and how to give and who we are and, all and it keeps going around like this. So um, that, is the, that is the primary offering that I'm working with at the moment because it's amazing. And I can say that because it was given to me, the whole of Teresa's was given to me um, like, di- like receiving dictation, first part in a car crash, second part just because I tried very hard not to do it and it wouldn't leave me alone. And when I said yes, I was given the map and then I've spent years trying to understand what it is and working with it. And it's just, it's a genuine consciousness shift tool. Um, and then if you go into the Tree Sisters website, you'll find a thing called the Femiversity, which is full of meditations, audio practices, body practices. Um, we haven't done a lot of what you've done yet, which is actually get people out into nature because we've got a global network and so it's all virtual teachings. Um, but I am, you know, we've just partnered with Woman Fest. We're about to start doing festivals around the world, probably um, a lot more retreats on the land, actually working with nature in terms of learning how to open the whole self, drop out of the mind and move into, into communion. Um, I think probably the most radical thing that we're doing, and I'm about to, I'm about to do a course actually, uh, The Courage to Shine, is what I call uh, deep inner alchemy which is understanding how to use the mind to move into relationship with all the sensations in the body that we're afraid of, where we're, where we're fractured, where we're conditioned away from ourselves, where we hold the lies that we've been taught about ourselves, how to be in conscious relationship with them in such a way that we can literally use either collective consciousness or meditative presence to lift them out 
um, to alchemize, to allow for a vibrational shift whereby through presence, deep acceptance and love, we change. We literally change and we don't go back. And when you have enough people doing that en masse together, we can have what I call collective stain removal, where we're simply not tolerating a lie to stay in the collective psyche of women, or we're not tolerating a lie to stay in the collective psyche of humanity. And therefore, if you, if you make it conscious where it's hooked inside of all of us and you can just give it your full presence, it's not true. It doesn't belong there. It's going to move eventually. So I like to think of, of, of what it means to live as an energetic experiment where we let ourselves as human beings become a complete mystery to ourselves and we start operating as an energetic beingness that can have a completely intimate relationship with all of creation, which is totally limitless, and then use our collective way of thinking, dreaming, intentioning or intending, invoking, to align with a much higher vibration. You know, the Tibetans have this wonderful myth that when a thousand goddesses gather, the divine feminine will rebirth through their combined energies and the frequency of the planet will shift from one of fear to one of love. Something like that. It's a bit paraphrased but um, what I hear in that myth is when a thousand goddesses gather okay to me that's when a thousand women who have reclaimed the sense of their own nobility moved beyond the shadow ego and can sit in full presence with each other so that there is a merging they become a gateway for a different presence we have enough humility to know that this little ego isn't it and therefore, we can open to something greater. Well, if something greater comes through, we become available to it. We can start to be fully alive, fully alive and no longer afraid or identified with the conditioning of what we've been taught it means to be a woman. And none of it's true. You know, why would we be so conditioned away from ourselves if it wasn't because we were extremely powerful? Well, what if that power was then made available for the solutions that we need to try and steer us towards a balanced world where we're no longer dominating all of life. You know, we get to protect life because that's what we're for. And fear and courage seems to be coming up a lot. Um, and it seems that that's such a big hurdle in order to shine and to feel that huge aliveness and that connection with all life. You really have to, in a way, get over that fear it's first. A it's a hurdle. Um, I'm wondering if there's been times in your life, particularly kind of with the creation of Tree Sisters, this huge um, campaign. Have you had hurdles of, around fear that you had to overcome? Constant. <laughs> Constantly. You know, in the, in the car crash where I was given Tree Sisters, we had the message, call everything you do an experiment because you can't fail an experiment, you can only learn. And every time I've freaked out and every time I've said, I can't do it, I can't do it, my team say you know, you can't fail. You can't fail an experiment. You can only learn, you know, just like keep going and sort of picked myself up off the floor. I'm like, okay, I'll keep going. And oh my God. But I'll tell you a story um, from about, must have been five years before Tree Sisters, four or five years before Tree Sisters arrived, where I was, um, I was at a dance workshop and it was a week-long workshop over New Year and at New Year we were doing this 
agonizing thing called ritual theater because I'm not somebody that likes to be public at all. I don't like being in front of anybody, which is why I've decided to become a leader of a global movement. Um, and uh, and I, my little pod was charged to do theater of the rape of the earth. And I was like, oh, great, fabulous. I'll be the earth, I'll get raped, simple. Uh, you know, I could do that. And then maybe I won't have to do very much apart from, you know, wail a bit. Anyway, so we arranged this thing so that I was stripped naked. They painted waterfalls on my body with, with glitter. And then we put everybody's clothes on me. So I looked like a Michelin woman. I was enormous. And uh, they sat me on a throne, gave me cups of tea. And then essentially my little troop raped and plundered me. So they just started pulling off all my clothes and pulling off all my clothes and yanking off my shoes and like yanking at my hair and, you know, mining me and poisoning me and dredging me and deforesting me and, uh, you know, everything that we're doing because she is there just to take from and let's fight over her. You know, they're fighting over me. And all the time I was handing out cups of tea, you know. I'll keep giving as long as I'm able. I'll keep giving, you know, just silently handing out cups of tea. And... It got to the stage where I had a scarf and a sock left and they're still like fighting over the remaining bits, which is kind of where we are now. And I howled this most blood curdling of howls and threw myself on the floor and played dead. And while I was on the floor, my little triad was supposed to be having a community moment and realizing this wasn't a great idea and then figuring out how to put me back together again. I was lying on the floor going into shock going into complete shock and I'll probably cry because all I could hear was this nursery rhyme. All the king's horses and all the king's men put, couldn't put Humpty together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And I was just like, we don't get a second chance. We don't get a second chance. You know, we don't get to put our planet into therapy. You don't get to put it back together again once climate changes, you know, once all the feedback loops have looped, like we're done, you know. And, uh, they put me back on my chair and started dressing me and I was looking at the audience and everyone was crying. The whole room was crying and I was still just, I'd gone freezing cold and I was deeply in shock. And probably for about three years before that, I had, I developed this obsession about clouds because I'd been having dreams. Actually, no, it was a lot longer than that. It was about 10 years worth of obsession with clouds. I was drawing them, I was painting them, I was like looking for them, taking photographs of them. Because I'd started having premonitions of climate change, there were going to be no more clouds, and I was in a grief, it was in a, like a latent grief state that there were going to be no more clouds. Anyway, they finished the theatre, and then it was like present giving time, and somebody had like brought presents, nobody knew who they were from, or you know, you just put a, your hand in a bag and you pulled out a present, and I got out this little thing, it was obviously a book, and I took the wrapper off. And it was a little blue book with a cloud on it, and it just said, you can change the world, with a forward by Gorbachev. And I started crying, and I started, I was uncontrollably crying. I was like sobbing at high pitch, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I remember like running out of the room and running out into the night air, surrounded by trees, and howling and howling and howling. And I was howling because I knew we didn't get a second chance with our planet and I didn't think we were going to make it. I knew I loved this world more than anything that I could ever, ever imagine. And 
my life wasn't given to her because I was too afraid. I knew that I had to give my life to her, but I didn't believe that there was anything I could do that would be of any use whatsoever. And I was in this, I was in this schizophrenic state of, I have to do something. You can't do anything. You're nothing. Nothing you do will ever be worth anything. But I have to do something. You know, how could you ever be so arrogant? How could you like? And I, and then I, like I, I, I was in a third position watching this dynamic of desperate longing and total fear-based shaming that was going on inside me. And then I was even more distressed because I was looking at humanity. I was looking at the at humanity sitting there going, oh my God, we're going off an edge. And everyone going, don't knock the status quo. Like, let's just keep it going. Somebody will save us. And oh, it's getting worse. And oh, and I was just, I just felt like I was going mad, absolutely mad. But I cried enough. Like, I let my heart break. I got to, I got to witness the insanity of my own psyche. And then I got to witness the insanity of humanity's psyche. But overshadowing all of it was my profound love for this world. And at, and at the point that you let your heart break for this world, then your love will outshine your fear. And your fierce love for what we need to save or try to save or serve or even just the reality that our kids do not have a future that will look anything like ours. If they've even got 10 years ahead, nobody even knows anymore. Like climate change is happening so much faster than anybody ever imagined. We have no idea what we're, we're steaming towards. And most people are still like this. And that is because we've been taught away from ourselves. We've been taught away from our planet. We've been taught compulsive irresponsibility that we don't have to lead because our leaders will lead us, but our leaders aren't leading us. Our leaders are lying to us. They're lying to us about what's actually going on. They're lying to us about what's actually coming. They're lying to us about what they're doing in secret about it to prepare without informing anybody. And most of all, they're lying to the children because they're not acting like even one generation matters, let alone seven generations. So that moment, that was the moment that my life was given, you know. And I've, I've told that story many times because I want everybody to be the earth getting raped to have the possibility you know even if they just hear the story and they can relate somehow to to the insanity of fighting over the body of our life support machine shredding it it's like literally is like being on the end of a branch and cutting it off at the trunk that's what we're doing like we're 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 severing ourselves from everything with our eyes open which again is why the consciousness shift, you know. What we're doing is insane and we all know it. And so my work with the Map of Five Choices, especially in large gatherings, is to help people feel what balance is. The in-breath comes first, it informs the out-breath. I feel how things are so that I know what to do. The feminine feels, the masculine takes action on behalf of the feminine, the masculine takes action on behalf of life. That's what, that's how it works. If there's no feeling state, our action is going to make no sense whatsoever. That is a patriarchal world. We have created climate change through the suppression of the feminine principle. Okay, we have to bring her back. We have to bring her back. And that's what I t was told in the, um, in the crash.
feminine consciousness has to be reinstated or it's over. And that's why I'm focusing on women, not because I think, think men are useful or amazing or wonderful. I love men. But because we're not suffering from a lack of masculine leadership, we're profoundly suffering from a lack of feminine leadership. And we're profoundly suffering from a lack of feminine consciousness in this world that is actually coming from a balanced place so that the masculine, as it has been indoctrinated, has a chance to turn and understand what the feminine is and then start serving her. And is that primarily through feeling first? Yeah. Yeah. Because what is our thinking? Our thinking is just what we've been taught. And we've been taught to be in a severed state. So how can our thinking really um, come up with anything new? How can our thinking, you know, it's like Einstein, you know, you can't create the solutions out of the mindset that it's been created. That's another terrible quote, but you know what I mean. You know, there's got to be a different consciousness. Our bodies are nature. Nature doesn't waste a thing. If we were woven into the fabric of creation consciously and listening to how nature does things, we'd be living a completely different way. We'd be living like nature does, to thrive, and for all things to thrive, and for just more thriving to happen. But we're doing the opposite as if it makes sense. That's a disconnected mind. That's not a heart in action, and that's not an awake body, it's a disconnected mind. And that's what leads to this out-breath culture. Yeah. If the feminine is down, if the feminine is repressed, if we have disowned our spirituality, our emotionality, and our physicality, which we have through science and religion, largely, if we've done that to the degree that we cannot feel our indivisibility, which we can't, most of us, then our actions are going to arise from a severed state. Our actions, essentially, we're going to look at each other and our bodies and our planet as something to use to build things. And people are there to use, which we're doing all over the world, as a way of making money, as a way of serving the individual over the collective. Countries are there to use. Resources are just there to plunder. Trees are just standing timber, you know. Sacred water, the water that's been on this planet forever since time on this planet began, is now being filled with so many poisons. It's being fracked, it's being polluted, it's being gone as what? That's, that's what we're leaving our children. We can only do that because we don't understand that's our bloodstream. That's our lungs. That's our bodies. Right there, it's our bodies we're doing it to. We're not just doing it to that underground water over there that's not connected to anything else. We're doing that to the water that has, has been through every human being, every dinosaur, every single-cell organism since the beginning of time. We're now, you know, turning that into a poisonous soup for everybody else that comes from here on in because if that's the water cycle, that's just the same water. Why are we doing that? We've lost any sense of the sacred. Why? Because we've disconnected from the heart. We have no sense that it's us. How about your relationship with nature? Do you go into nature often as a source of inspiration and a source of wisdom? It's my sanity. I'm certainly not sane, but nature is. <laughs> I, I despair. I love the fact that the internet gives me global reach because I can call for women all around the world to come into a global sisterhood. And I can, I can get on there and I can rant about what most matters to me and I can mobilise people. I can't bear how, the, how technology disconnects us at such a level. I, I, 
When I first had the car crash and I realized what I was being asked to do, I said no for nine months. And one of the primary reasons was because I knew it would mean I'd be on technology. And I was computer allergic, Wi-Fi allergic, mobile phone allergic, and now I live on all of them. And um, it dumbs me down, dumbs everything down. I think it makes us very ill, actually. But um, nature is my everything. Nature is my absolute everything. And that's why she's, I've given my life to her. There's nothing more spectacularly beautiful on this planet. Of course, human beings are part of nature. But um, a lot of nature is considerably less destructive and very much more unconditional. And um, there is more wisdom in a leaf and more sensitivity in a leaf than most you know, human minds, really. We have so much to learn. You know, I, I consistently liken the tree sisterhood to the forest floor because my dream is that humanity can learn to operate like the forest floor, you know, in radical generosity, whereby in the same way that every tree in a forest is completely woven into every other tree and they share nutrients, they share messages, they share chemicals, they share everything. You know, when one's starving, the others will feed it. When the other one's starving, the others will feed it. If one's dying, it'll give all of its nutrients. If there's trouble at the end of the forest, they'll chemically communicate. They protect each other. They don't just say, this is mine, and I'm going to use the rest of you so that I can make more money over here, and you can all die, and I'm going to be triumphant and the biggest one, and you can all pray, you know, lord me. That's human behavior. It's not nature's behavior. Nature is consistently trying to figure out how to strengthen all systems. Everybody wins, and that's a forest. And so I'm generating community, consciously seeding in the principles of radical generosity, upholding everybody, deep sharing. You know, How bold can we be with our generosity? How much can we love? How much can we care? How much can we trust? How much can we open? You know, how much can we start to have like a currency of love that is the, is the new norm? It's hard for us. It's really hard. We're so afraid of each other. But it's what we long for. So, yeah, nature is nature's everything. And I need to spend a hell of a lot more time in it, in all honesty. Um, but for my sins, I've moved to California to be with my husband, and it's incredibly hot. And so I spend a lot more time indoors than... <laughs> than I would like in the heat of the summer, but it's also very beautiful. Claire, you said it took you um, nine months to say yes. So you had the car crash, and then it was no, 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 and then there was something that made you say yes. What was it? I was being stopped. Everything I did, so I basically... I said no for multiple different reasons. Um, one of them being, I had no idea what it meant to be a woman, and I was being asked to create a women's network. Um, I was frightened of women, and I was being asked to create a women's network. Um, I was frightened of being a woman that celebrated other women because I didn't want men to come down on me and say, how can you dare do something for women, You know, bring in the men. I, I was afraid of the women who would berate me because they were afraid of the men. I was just afraid and I felt I was totally ill-equipped. I'd never even been part of an organization I was being asked to build one. Um, I was a loner and I was being asked to be a connector. I was a shy introvert. I was being asked to be a front person, a public speaker. Um, the worst thing about the car crash was that it 
it showed me a version of myself that was so far away from the version of me that I was living. It confronted me with, I mean, life literally said, so Claire, you know, are you gonna stay a completely freaked out, afraid, neurotic apology who is wedded to your victim consciousness? Or are you actually going to realize that you can move beyond your past and your conditioning and discover what's actually in here and then be of use in this world? Or are you just going to stay neurotic because that's more enjoyable than discovering your magnificence or the light that you are? And so I was confronted, the same as I was when I got that little book, you know, You Can Save the World. Was I going to sit there and stay small and apologetic or was I going to have a go? And I decided I was going to stay small and apologetic. Um, because I was terrified and then of course I couldn't stomach myself because I was I was choosing to live the lie I was choosing to perpetuate the lie and so then I was incredibly depressed I mean it was a nine-month depression but during that time I decided to try and do several different initiatives one after the other that were a version on a theme avoiding the womany stuff um, making it all right for everybody um, and everything I did started well and then crashed really badly. And ultimately, the crash came faster and faster and more and more severe. It was like I'd go, I'll try this, and life would go, oh, no. And I'd say, oh, I'll try this, and life would go, oh, no. Oh, I'll try this, no. Oh, I'll try this, bad. and it just got worse and worse to the point where I'd literally I'd wake up one morning after another thing had gone wrong, and I couldn't remember who I was or what I was doing and I'd have to go back to all my notes and start again. And eventually I just thought, how many times does it have to hit me before I realize that I'm not following orders? So I went for a walk and I said, okay, I'm sorry, I'm doing it wrong, tell me what I'm doing. And back came, you can do all of that, same voice that I heard in the car crash. You can do all of that, but you do it through the women. And I said, all right, tell me what a tree sister is. And they said, it's a woman who is considerate of life, is encouraging of her sisters, is intimate with nature, is responsible for its protection, and is courageous with her gifts. And that was the five-pointed star. And I went, that's five. I ran home, I drew a five-pointed star. Where do they belong? There they were, that was the beginning. And then I put it away for about three weeks. In the middle of the night, I woke up and went, oh, that's five element acupuncture. And I ran downstairs and I looked at it and sure enough, there was the feminine, there was the masculine. Uh, the feminine came first. That was going, that it suddenly made sense of why women, it made sense of consciousness shift, it made sense of why climate change. It was like I suddenly got all of it and I said, okay, okay, I have no idea what to do, but I'll do it. So then, you know, the first thing you do, or the map tells you, you, you say yes, you open, you go and find your tribe. So then I was ringing up friends saying, got this idea, don't know how to do it, will you play, will anybody play? And then one woman said yes. She was my dance teacher. And so Bernadette and I started figuring out what this map was and started figuring out how we were to do this. And we started with, she had a lot of experience, I had none. And um, we muddled through, you know, a year later we formed a company, a year after that we got charitable status. And that was to end of 2012, it's now mid-2018. We planted our first 5,000 trees at the end of 2014. We're now planting 2 million a year. And um, and I want to get to a million a month and then a billion a year. And even that's not even scratching the edges of what we're losing. But it's enough to make it. It's enough to start making a difference in enough significant places. Mm.
And to me, it also shows the, the importance of dreaming big, of having a, a really big vision and really going for it. It's not big at this point. Well, I know I shouldn't say that because I don't want anybody that's actually just bringing their own thing forward. But when it comes to climate, it's got to be big. Mm. It's got to be big, and I also think it needs to be audacious. If you want to call people into their greatness, you see, that's what I long for. I long for a species that makes sense to itself, a human species that makes sense to itself. We know we're not here to destroy life. It's, we're killing ourselves. And it's like, it's like a soul death when you collude with it and look away. And it's the same. It's this, it's this like rebirth of yourself when you, when you decide to say, yes, I'm willing to stand for this. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to no longer collude with a, a sick system. I'm, I have to do something. Then your life force starts to pump through your veins and you come closer to yourself because you're saying yes to life. So audacious is good. Radical is good. Mm. Surprising is good. Ridiculous is good at this point. Like, you know, just try. Mm. Just try something. Who is humanity in relationship to our capacity to destroy or create life? That's our big question. You know, and I think we're an extraordinary species and capable of so much, but we have to remember who and what we are and then what we're for and then get on with it really fast. And Claire, if you had one piece of advice uh, for someone to shine, what would it be? Oh my God, end with the hardest question. Um, allow. Because shining is saying yes to your life force. Shining does not mean getting up on stage with a megaphone. It might do if that's what your life force wants to do. Shining is saying yes fundamentally to who and what you are, not your conditioning, not what your parents want, not what the, your culture says, what your soul says. Because when you turn to yourself and you allow the truth that is moving through you to inform you and you start to follow that, you will shine. You will know who you are. You will be able to start living your gifts. And that is a deep listening and an allowing. It's where we no longer suppress and resist ourselves. And we actually say yes. And we start to follow that small voice that can get louder and louder and remind us of who we are. And we get to live our own sovereign life. And that will be a thing of beauty. It will be a creation of absolute beauty because every single one of us is a unique tuning fork of grace on this planet and that that note deserves to sing and we deserve to be this glorious symphony which is not what we sound like at the moment you know it sounds like some sort of demented heavy metal going on which is just painful but it's because it's because we're so busy playing other people's tunes we're so busy trying to be the note that we've been told that we are which is not in alignment with life and not true for our own souls and so we're out of key we're badly out of key we're like nails on a blackboard. It's painful. We'll know when we start to come into alignment with ourselves because we will not not be able to give our gifts. And we will start moving in circles that are upholding each other and where true human values of love and dignity and care and truth and openness, all of these things that we crave for, we will no longer be able to not exist inside of them because our souls will demand it. That's the world we need. That's the world inside all of us. We just have to start by saying yes to ourselves. Dare to say yes to yourself. Thank you, Claire. It's a really beautiful place to end. And thank you for singing your song with so much 
gusto. Yes, <laughs> and truth, and feeling, and passion. It's really inspirational. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You have been listening to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org.